Welcome to the Home Lab Show. You know, it's funny because I have a special guest. I didn't even look at one important thing, the episode number, 67. <laughs> but I have a special guest, Jeff from Craft Computing. I'm positive a lot of you know him. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Tom? Wonderful. It is morning and uh, normally Jeff would have a beer review on Craft Computing. Do you have a coffee beer recommendation? <laughs> nope. Hold on. Hold on. I got, <laughs> I got audio feeding back. Hold on. Ah, okay, we're good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no problem. Do you have a do you have a uh, coffee beer recommendation, Jeff? We're gonna start it out a little weird here. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, I did grab a canned coffee. Uh, I've been really oh. digging these lately. Uh, so this is a La Colombe, La Colombe, something like that. Uh, you get them at Costco. They're really? about a dollar a can. You buy them in a twelve pack. They're a nitro infused coffee, and so they're. Slightly carbonated, slightly creamy, uh, but actually super good. Uh, so I, that is an unexpected answer. I was, I was hoping to caught you off guard. I did not prepare you for that question. I was to see what does Jeff recommend on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> I've always got something in front of me. Yeah, uh, I actually I, want to try that now. So I'm, I'm genuinely interested. <laughs> yeah, no, you pick them up at coffee or at, at Costco. They're uh, like I said, they're about twelve to fourteen dollars for a twelve pack of them. And awesome. uh, they're really delicious. So, all right. It's usually how I start my morning if I'm not making coffee. Yeah, that is great. Well, they are not the sponsor of the show. So, I will quickly <laughs> thank who is the sponsor. And they're actually a friend of Jeff's channel as well. And that is Linode. Many of the projects we talk about here on the Home Lab show are easily run in Linode. Now, not the one we're talking about today, though, because today Jeff's going to join us for some GPU pass through. But for all the other fun things that you don't want to run in your cloud or you want to just run it in their cloud and uh, do all your testing, check out Linode. Uh, we have the offer of the Home Lab Show to get you started on there. Uh, they've been a great sponsor of the show. We thank them for their support. And by the way, I've mentioned this many times, if you've downloaded this podcast, you've downloaded it from a Linode server because that's where we host the Home Lab Show and everything else too. Because we, we're we still going it and hosting all of it ourselves. And uh, we, once we found a couple bugs that we completely created ourselves, it's actually been quite reliable for the hosting. <laughs> Linode <laughs> makes a great server. So check them out, use our offer code. Uh, but now we're going to talk about building your game server yeah <laughs> now this is this is fun now i've already included a playlist on here uh for jeff we're going to talk a lot about the theory on it what works what doesn't work uh and jeff oh it's will... been a whole journey <laughs> jeff yes i've been following this journey because you know people ask me about pass through and i'm always referring them to Jeff's videos i've watched them it's it's just not as easy as people think it is, is probably the first thing. The second thing right. is not just any video card works. Matter of fact, uh, where do we want to start with this topic? Which video cards uh, you tried before? Or oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I have stacks upon stacks of, of enterprise and consumer GPUs that I have gone through testing on and uh, done either performance testing or just do they work in general. Now, uh, I think we'll we'll clarify one thing right out of the gate. Uh, there are a hundred different ways to skin this cat. Um, if you want to just put a GPU into a server and pass it through, that is actually a fairly easy thing to do nowadays. Uh, NVIDIA um, released the driver update and removed the limitation on uh, being inside of a virtual machine. And so now you can run an NVIDIA GPU inside of a VM. Uh, you can also do it with AMD. Uh, the one thing you'll need to do for that, if you want to log into it remotely, is get one of the little display uh, fake out dongles. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. 
they're easy to find. They're kind of HD. I think if you look for HDMI dummy on Amazon, you'll find them. They're pretty, pretty straightforward to find. And they set the screen to be that. Uh, oddly, we've used them not for GPU pass through, but if uh, servers are headless, some of our remote control software commercially doesn't work. If yeah. it doesn't have a monitor plugged in, uh, we've plugged those into some headless servers because kind of solve a stupid problem uh, where either a resolution is locked too low or B some of the remote tools just go now nah, with no monitor. I won't, I won't give you a display to remote into the server, which is a weird problem. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's the same exact thing. You have to have the video card actually rendering an image in order to remote into that, that yeah. video card. Um, and so PCI Express pass-through is super simple. It's supported by basically every hypervisor that's out there. Now, what I kind of, uh, I started down this journey with uh, a set of NVIDIA Tesla K2 cards. Uh, these are Kepler-based GPUs. Uh, and NVIDIA actually allowed virtualization of those cards for free. If you own the cards, you could download the drivers, you could, you could make them work. Uh, they only worked in VMware 6.5. That's it. End of discussion. <laughs> yeah. If you have something newer, if you have something older, if you have Zen, if you have Proxmox, no. Uh, but rather than just passing through a single GPU, you're able to uh, partition or para-virtualize your GPU. Uh, similar to SRIOV, but it's a closed source protocol. Uh, and so you have to have drivers and support for both your host and your guest direct from NVIDIA and direct from your hypervisor. Uh, and I eventually got those working. Performance was kind of lackluster and I kind of figured that would be the end of the road. Um, as it turns out, I don't know if I sparked interest in a, in a bunch of people, but NVIDIA has an enterprise solution that they call GRID uh, or VGPU. And... Uh, it's been available. Uh, Kepler was the first generation, but it it's kind of its own animal. Uh, when Maxwell came out, uh, NVIDIA released their version two of Grid. And it's a complete enterprise solution, requires a Tesla-based GPU and very specific Tesla-based GPUs. And it is a licensed system where you can, again, split up a GPU. Uh, and... The new system is supported on Maxwell, Pascal, Volta, or Turing-based cards. Uh, what some industrious uh, modders managed to do was unlock that feature in consumer or non-supported Tesla GPUs. Uh, so essentially, you can take a GTX 980 Ti or a GTX 1070 or a Tesla M40 or M60 and para-virtualize them in your server. Uh, this allows you to have one video card and multiple virtual machines sharing the resources of that graphics card. And I think you're kind of become the source of documentation on that because you didn't find this in a place. This was a, a search of the internet to consolidate <laughs> all these dispersed places of information to come up with how this actually com comes together and works. Right, exactly. And, and so uh, where I, I came up with... Uh, like I said, it, it, stealing from one is plagiarism. Stealing from many is research. Like there's yeah. always that old <laughs> passage. Uh, and so uh, I, I did pull from multiple sources, but I've cited every single one of my sources along the way. Uh, and those are all available in 
uh, in the documentation that I put together. You can download it off my Google Drive uh, and follow the tutorials that I put up on YouTube. Um, so vGPU is the main method that I look at for virtualizing graphics cards. And uh, if you have, like I said, let's uh, probably the easiest one if you're looking at getting into this is the Tesla M40. Uh, the reason that's a fantastic GPU is it's a Maxwell-based card. It has the same exact GPU die as the uh, NVIDIA Titan X Maxwell. Uh, so it's a super fast, uh, very reliable card, very powerful, 3,000 CUDA cores. Oh, and either 12 or 24 gigabytes of video memory. You can pick them up on eBay for 100 bucks right now. That's a, that's a good price for that. These right. are... Oh, so I, they're pretty neat. Uh, what I was looking at them because one of the other things about them is the way they, the cooling on them, because they're designed to go into a server. Right. Makes yeah. The cards themselves, they are passively cooled, but they are pretty much the best bang for the buck that you can get uh, in an enterprise GPU. Uh, so the Tesla M40 is one that I often go back to and and demo a lot of this, these things on. But uh, again, if you have a supported GPU, they will work uh, with this pass-through method. Uh, getting vGPU working is only half of the equation, though, because once you split up the GPU, you have to be able to connect to it remotely. Yes. Uh, and, and that's where things have gotten a little bit complicated as well. Now, I did figure out that using... Uh, this vGPU method, you can connect either via Parsec, uh, which is a fantastic uh, free remote desktop solution that offers low latency and it's designed for gaming. Uh, but you get dumped essentially into a remote desktop session with full video acceleration. And so if you wanted to, I don't know, edit video remotely or use your desktop remotely, you get full access to your desktop uh, in about the lowest latency possible from wherever you are. Uh, if you want to do it locally on your own network, and that's where most of my vGPU stuff happens, uh, there's also an open source solution. Uh, there is a server called Sunshine. It's, a, it's an executable that you run on a Windows or Linux client with a vGPU instance. And it is basically an open source re-implementation of NVIDIA's game streaming. Uh, so it's the same thing that's built into NVIDIA GeForce Now. And it's just a small service, runs in the background, and it allows you to connect with an NVIDIA GameStream client. There's also an open source re-implementation of the GameStream client known as Moonlight. And that also runs on just about any device. Uh, so whatever your host operating system is and whatever your guest operating system is, you can connect to them with Sunshine and Moonlight together. And it's a fantastic solution. Now, it looks pretty inexpensive. Uh, it's, I mean, not free to Parsec one at $10 a month. How does it compare uh, to the other ones out there? Like, is Parsec um, got an edge on them? Parsec definitely has an edge as far as overall uh, connectivity, latency, speed, resolution features. Um, uh, Parsec is either free and they do have a paid tier. Uh, the yeah. free tier uh, allows you to have a single remote monitor. It allows you to have uh, up to 60 frames per second, although I believe they recently upped that to 120 frames per second. Oh, wow. Uh, so for free, you get 120 hertz connections. Like, it's pretty wild. Uh, upgrading to the paid version, uh, they're pushing that as more of like an enterprise or VDI 
virtualized desktop infrastructure solution where uh, if you have a remote video editor or CAD editors or things like that, uh, the unlocked version gives you multiple monitor support. Uh, they also give you things like 10-bit 422 color uh, broadcast instead of just 8-bit 420. Uh, so again, for things like professional use cases, video editing, uh, that is an absolutely fantastic solution. And there's really no one that touches it. Yeah, once you go to the the, the high color space problem for issues that YouTubers might have of having a remote editor, <laughs> it sounds like Parsec might be the good solution. <laughs> yeah, anyone else record in ProRes 10-bit 422? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the usual home lab conversation, but it's good to know for people looking for um, a high resolution solution parsecs out there. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm always for the open source one and, but sometimes it just doesn't fit the bill. It's not the right thing. That's why I wanted to clarify on parsecs. I, I knew you used it for some of these more advanced features that it had on there. Yes. And, yeah. And for, uh, yeah, we, we use uh, the Parsec paid tier for remote video editing here in my studio. Uh, so uh, for those who don't know, I have a video editor. His name's Rhett. Uh, he works in studio probably about three to four days per week, but he also does a lot of video editing from home. And my projects, again, at ProRes 10-bit 422, uh, the average video shoot is about 500 gigabytes. And so rather than like handing him an SSD and going here, go edit this and then bring me about the project when you're done or slinging 500 gigs of data over to a server that he doesn't have at home. Uh, we just use Parsec. And so he logs into a remote instance on one of my servers. He gets direct access to my NAS. It's all uh, from his perspective, he's in my local LAN as then he's as if he's VPNing in to a private desktop interface. Yeah, and this can be helpful for really anyone that wanted to use this. Yeah, you know whatever applications are, it sometimes is tricky getting applications to port over VPN. But doing it this way, we you know the, we're going to keep it back to the gaming topic here. But just to expand out on the idea, whatever you may need, whether it's a remote video editor or just access to um, CAD applications or any design mm -hmm. software that you may use, and you go, I'd like to work remotely, but remotely is house, and remotely for me is just not my house and traveling, <laughs> being able to get back in there is uh, quite handy. Yeah. Uh, Dunkel says, I'm not a huge fan of opening ports. Uh, the nice thing about Parsec is also it's a client server infrastructure. And so uh, you download a Parsec client, uh, both for your host and, and your client application. Uh, they are the same exact application. And uh, Parsec offers essentially like a uh, Google remote desktop or... Any, any number of other services, uh, uh, PC Anywhere, remember them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they offer essentially linking from their client to their server and back. And so you don't have to open any ports. It all runs over uh, 443 uh, HTTPS. So every connection is, is uh, encrypted and secure. And there's nothing that you have to do to actually make the connection through your firewall. Okay. And I'm assuming I've seen them suggest it's UDB hole punch. It's pretty likely that they're using that. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. So good on security. And of course, if you're remoting in, VPN is an option for people that want to do things oh, totally. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's an option on there. Uh, but generally, you'd want to eliminate anything that causes extra latency with this because uh, to the gaming topic, we can't have latency. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, th there is still latency uh, when you're when you're talking about gaming. Um, and if I can touch just one more second on the, the Sunshine and Moonlight, sure. the open source implementation. Uh, those do not have a server client infrastructure. There's no cloud hosting for 
uh, redirection or anything like that. You will need to open ports in your firewall or VPN directly in. Yeah, uh, or be and, on your uh, local network because you have one fancy server with some Teslas in it. And uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's. I think that's most of the implementations you've done. So you and some friends and the kids and the family can all play the gaming server together. Uh, we've actually had uh, six players, uh, five of them remote, and then myself uh, playing crisis uh in fact one of them was as far away as norway and i'm in oregon so literally like opposite sides of the planet <laughs> he was playing on my on my cloud gaming server it, it was absolutely incredible that's great so it's all it's all becoming more viable as the internet gets better and faster so yeah <laughs> anyway um so where do we want to go from here <laughs> where do we go from here um so back to some of the modern video cards, you said this is now supported with some of the modern video cards as well. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, like I said, the, the M40 is the most affordable that you can get. It's about $100 and gets the most bang for the buck uh, that you'll find on eBay. Uh, you can also use more modern video cards. Uh, my cloud gaming server right now runs uh, three Titan X Pascal cards. Uh, and I've wired them in so the fans just run at 100%. Uh, because they're in a server and they're close together. And who knew that heat would be in, uh, a problem with three cards that generate like 350 watts of power when they're fully loaded. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Maxwell, Pascal, Volta, and Turing. So the brand new NVIDIA 3000 series cards, Ampere-based cards, NVIDIA changed the method again in which they handle um para virtualization uh and so it uses a new system it's based on sriov but it's also got some closed source secret sauce that uh modders have not figured out how to break yet um but they are working on it <laughs> from what i hear yeah and i think the important thing to think about here i mean gpu pass through just in general i want to pass through a gpu as a whole my mm -hmm. you're describing the pci device and whatever your hypervisor is figuring out the methodology that they have to pass it through take this pci device make it available not to the host vm but to one of the guests inside what jeff and we've been discussing so far is the para virtualization to further slice it up you know in I really love this in concept because it's so easy to do. Virtualization is well understood, been around for a long time. We take a CPU, we take an eight-core CPU, but I still am able to over-provision CPUs to all my guests because they're not all asking for the same thing at once. You do something a little bit similar with para-virtualization with the GPUs. How is mm -hmm. the, because I remember your documentation on the one for, I think it was the uh, Hyper-V. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you allocate um, and, and balance that when you're allocating them. I mean, can you over-provision GPUs? Uh, yes, and also no. So uh, vGPU, which uh, I've installed on KVM, and you can do it on a couple other hypervisors, but it, uh, the vGPU unlock has pretty limited uh, compatibility with what hypervisors it can use. Uh, Proxmox 7.2 has been a fantastic uh, one, and I've actually been using Proxmox 4 vGPU since Proxmox 5.0. Uh, that's how long I've been on this journey. Uh, but uh, uh, with vGPU unlock, what you do is you allocate profiles of the GPU based on the amount of memory that you're going to split. And you have to evenly split the GPU. So if you have a 12 gigabyte card, you can do three four gigabyte instances or four three gigabyte instances. Um, now, if only one of those GPUs is running, it will be allocated three gigabytes of uh, video memory 
but will have access to up to 100% of the GPU CUDA resources. And so for uh, GPU performance, as long as no one else is asking for it, it can have 100% of the GPU, but okay. only its partitionable amount of memory. Uh, if another, if you fire up a second instance with another three gigabyte instance, uh, if one of them is still not doing anything, the other can go all the way up to 100%. If they both start rendering games, they'll they'll level out about 50-50. Uh, you can't over partition the memory amount in vGPU and you can't use obviously more than 100% of your GPU resources. Um, now, uh, moving on to Hyper-V because that is a completely different animal entirely. Uh, the reason that NVIDIA unlocked uh, GPU pass-through and eliminated the code 43 if it detected VM uh, is Microsoft wanted to implement para-virtualization into Hyper-V, which is a replacement of uh, Remote FX, I believe it was called, which is the old GPU para-virtualization system in Hyper-V 2012, 2016, something like that. Um, essentially, Microsoft now fully supports inside of Hyper-V firing up a Windows uh, guest and passing through your your video card resources. Um, Paravirtualization is a little bit different because you're not allocating X amount of memory and you can over allocate, you can over partition um, uh, in paravirtualization. But essentially you, it, it runs with a single PowerShell line. It, it's a very long PowerShell line, but uh, it, it's basically a copy and paste operation where you say this GPU, I want to give it, uh, or I want to use this GPU for para virtualization and I want to attach one instance onto X virtual machine. And when you do that, uh, Hyper-V will split up the GPU. And then there's a little bit that you have to do on the back end as far as uh, setting up a folder structure to share the drivers between your host and your guest. Uh, now, this comes with some complications because if you're running Hyper-V on your Windows host, you have to be running the same exact kernel version of Windows on your Windows guest. You also have to be running the same exact driver version, and the driver is actually shared via a folder structure between the two. And so if uh, Windows decides to upgrade from 21H1 to 21H2 on your host, your guest GPU will stop working. Uh, if NVIDIA updates your drivers on one of those systems, your GPU will stop working. Uh, and so you have to keep them on the same version at all times, both kernel and driver version. Mm. That's the complication with this one. But it is, it is completely free. It is completely usable. Uh, and you can actually do it with Windows 10 or Windows 11 as a host. You don't have to have Windows Server as a host. Uh, so... This is probably the, the method that I would push most people to if you're looking at, I have one desktop PC, I want to add a, a Tesla GPU or even split the GPU that I already have in there. The other major advantage is this works with both NVIDIA and AMD GPUs, and there's no limit on what type of GPU or what architecture GPU you can use. It's any video acceleration. I... This could be the first time I'll say this. I think I found a use case for Hyper-V. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not not a big Hyper-V. You just person. get cold in here. What, yeah, I know. Happens? It feels weird. I just promoted Microsoft. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I, but I, 
that's clever that they have a support for that. That is, um, other than the intricacies of it, but I mean, generally speaking, you want to symmetrically update your systems. If you, if there's, Correct. if there's Correct. an update, just update all of them, just go through it, deal with whatever drama comes with the latest version of windows and work your way through it. Like the rest of us do. Yep. <laughs> there's an update. It's just, that's life. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, so it sounds like though, generally speaking, you Proxbox is your go-to. That's where your, most of your gaming stuff runs on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, now, Proxbox is my go-to because um, it gives me the most flexibility and the most uh, reliability when it comes to just firing up an instance and, and playing. So Now, did you ever get this working with Zen Server at all? Um, I, I have not gotten it working with Zen. Okay. And uh, as far as I know, there's no method to do this with VMware either. So it has to be essentially KVM as, as a base. So... Obviously, Proxmox, but any Linux-based KVM, you can run it on Red Hat, you can run it on Scent, you can run it on whatever you want. Uh, yeah, and I think that's, I, I wanted to bring it up because everyone knows I'm a bigger XCPNG fan, but if, mm -hmm. in the commercial space that I use it in, uh, we help companies deploy this in data centers and things like that. And so mm -hmm. when people ask me about Pastro, I'm like, this is not a request we often get for the person that's running 2100 Linux VMs to host a uh, phone application. They they Turns out not the use case. So right. uh, it comes down to use case. That's why I said like Hyper-V is an interesting one because of the uh, lack of limitations on air and Proxmox because mm -hmm. of the underlying hypervisor Proxmox uses. And I believe Wendell's covered this before on specifically KVM and parsing out things. He's got a couple write-ups in the level one tech forums yeah. all related uh, to this, which I'm sure you probably referenced at least a couple of the things in there. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple threads in particular that that I've referenced back to. So yeah, yeah. Wendell's Wendell's just like when he dives deep into something, it's he's definitely uh he's there's a lot in there on on getting that set up. So as long as you can get that hypervisor running, it's not that Proxmox requirement. It's more that that KVM is the requirement. Just well, there's documentation Correct. around it and there's support and there's a lot of people that contribute a lot of code uh, to yes. making that work. Yeah, so I've done multiple different tutorials on setting all of this up. Uh, like I said, Proxmox is usually my go-to, but I've also got a tutorial up for Hyper-V uh, as well. Um, I've also got tutorials up for just passing through a GPU or sharing resources between your, your Windows client on a client OS. Um, now, the KVM, I've done multiple different tutorials on, uh, so you'll want to make sure you're watching the most recent one. And the playlist that Tom has linked in the description here is the most up-to-date Proxmox tutorial. Uh, it uses the vGPU unlock script as well as vGPU unlock rust. And that has been, number one, the most reliable, the easiest to install. It also allows you to customize the GPU profiles. Uh, now, vGPU works on uh, basically a preset number of profiles that are predefined from NVIDIA based on the architecture that you're running. And so Pascal will have certain profiles for certain cards. Maxwell will have certain profiles for certain cards. And again, it kind of comes down to the memory split, but there's also a couple other uh, features that are turned on or off. Uh, using the Rust unlock script, you can actually customize the profiles and turn on or off CUDA acceleration or disable your frame limiter or all these other uh, nifty tools that are quite handy for gaming. Uh, and uh, uh, you could also change your, your memory allocation uh, based on the profile that you're running. And so the problem with Maxwell cards 
is the largest Maxwell profile was only eight gigabytes of video memory. And, or sorry, the largest Maxwell card to support vGPU only had eight gigabytes of memory, and that was the Tesla M60. Uh, well, what if I have a card with 24 gigs of memory? Well, the profile says I can only run one eight gig profile. Oh. Uh, you can't use the full allocation of your GPU because you're, it's based on a, a hard set limit by the profile itself. Uh, using the profile unlock, I can modify the two gigabyte profile and say, you know what, go ahead and use eight gigabytes instead. Got it. <laughs> and, and again, I've got full documentation for how to configure all of that with a te Tesla M40 or a, uh, you know, Pascal based GPU or whatever you have. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I've been using the Tesla M40s with eight gigabytes of, G of GPU memory each and three profiles split out from it that gives you roughly 1,000 CUDA cores. It gets you on par with about a GTX 1050 Ti for times three for essentially a hundred bucks. So about $30 per 1050 Ti instance. Which is really cool. And I've already seen a couple people comment that the prices went up a little bit. I'm going to believe that it has something to do with Jeff making videos about it. Now this it always is, does. Is supply and command. <laughs> this is, <laughs> the, there's a finite supply of these on eBay and yep. the price is determined based on, you know, the popularity of Jeff's trending video. <laughs> yeah, I think the 24 gigs have gone up from 100 to 130 lately. Although the Tesla M60 has recently dropped down to as low as $200, which is... Uh, two GPUs. Um, they're two uh, GM 104 GPUs. So the same GPU that's in the GTX 980. Uh, it's 2000 CUDA cores times two and eight gigabytes of video memory times two. Um, and that's actually the card that I run in my main server. And that's where my video editor sits. And so one of the GPU dies, I give essentially directly to him. He's got the full eight gigabytes of memory. And then the second GPU in that, I split out four ways with two gigabytes each for my daughter and her neighborhood friends to all play Minecraft because uh, two gigabytes of video memory and 512 CUDA cores, perfect Minecraft client. Yeah. And so they, they all get on their school Chromebooks and play Minecraft on my, on my gaming server. Now that that's a really cool thing because now you're, you're kind con you're concentrating all the work into that one system. And mm -hmm. I love that the client's just a Chromebook. Yeah. My, Question though is audio. How's the audio? Is it all well synced? Does it work well? Which it which is client? very well synced, okay. no matter what client I have used. Oh, good. Uh, but both both Moonlight and Parsec keep the audio synced extremely well. I've had I've had more issues with video uh, decode than I have with uh, with audio sync. So nice. Uh, that's kind of surprising. I thought there would be some audio issues, other like some latency, but it, it sounds like they got that. Well, I guess if they got the video figured out, it's a video certainly the more complicated of the two. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's it's a it's the concern of did they show any love for the audio engineering of it, or like we're just trying to get the video from over here to over yeah. there. <laughs> I, I will say it's not the the best audio you've ever heard. Uh, it's definitely slightly compressed from from the main source, but it's totally usable, uh, yeah. especially for you know, like I said, playing Minecraft or playing six player crisis on a single video card. <laughs> well, and I like this from an allocation standpoint, because for example, you know, people Plex is a popular one. You want to set up yeah. your Plex server and being able to parse that out and say, Hey, Plex, when it needs to do this, which is not all the time, uh, wants to do some rendering and GPU pass through to render things. You can do this while simultaneously still using it on your other one to play your games. 
the the really cool thing about Plex and NVE and C in particular is NVE and C is dedicated hardware on the GPU. It's not using the CUDA cores or or the the gaming parts of the GPU. And so, as the meme says, it's essentially free real estate. Oh, nice. uh, if if you partition out your GPU and you give one instance over to Plex, Plex will use the NVE and C encoder that doesn't act as a detriment to your gaming performance because it's different hardware. Uh, it's different hardware physically on the C on the GPU. Now, the downside with that is you you have to allocate your GPU evenly. And so ah. whatever video memory you give your gaming PC, you also have to give your Plex encoder. And so if you have a Tesla M40, you might end up with like a 12 gigabyte Plex instance or yeah. something like that. <laughs> but you know, you're still able to split it out and, and use all the resources. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Um, that is one detriment to it, I guess that that's well, but just go by cause Plex, uh, just get some other video cards, pop a few video cards in, get a board with a lot of PCIe slots and a big power right. supply. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, what a lot of the Plex community has done before also is, uh, is the Tesla, uh, P 400 or, uh, even better the new T 400, the Turing based 400, uh, with the new NVIDIA encoder in it. Uh, it's a single low profile card runs at like 60 Watts or something like that and has, uh, there's also an unlock script so you can have it encode more than two streams at the same time as well. So that's cool. very inexpensive solution. You can pick them up for about a hundred, 125 bucks. I, I think one of the other fun things, cause I, I did not click on this, so I don't know how good it works yet, but it, it piqued my interest. So we've, many of you have all seen the Dolly things, the mini Dolly. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So they have an open source one, so you can run it in on your own GPUs. I seen it. Oh, I haven't seen that. I, I seen it in the news on Reddit and I'm like, oh, oh that's cool. this is going to be, <laughs> I have things I have to finish <laughs> before I yes. click on this because I want to know, I want to, I want to start rendering and doing prompts and everything else. And uh, this seems <laughs> like, like, I, I, was, I wanted to play with it this morning, but I knew I would not get the things I'm supposed to get done if I would have started. <laughs> I was but, not aware of that. Yeah, no, I, like like I said, most of the time my cloud gaming server is just kind of sitting there. So I've got three Titan X Pascals with uh, a combined 36 gigs of video memory. That, that could be fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Je Jeff is going to start re-rendering all the thumbnails with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to be a lot of fun. <clears throat> I, I think there's a big future in a lot of uh, that type of analytics uh, coming out. Yeah. I mean, it all starts as we all play with it because it's fun, you know, doing things like the Dali stuff, uh, playing mm -hmm. games. But the other side of it is you can leverage and, you know, I'm working on a review of the new and it's essentially like a GPU built into it. The new synologies that have this where you can do more analytics with GPUs because they're good at things like figuring out object recognition and face recognition. Mm -hmm. So I think there's all kinds of fun lab projects when you parse it out. You're just better utilizing that hardware to have it doing something all the time. I run, you know, I run my games at night, but during the day when I have to do work, I let it render stupid pictures of Elon Musk. <laughs> just... <laughs> Or do face recognition or do some type of object recognition, run some yeah. data sets. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's really it's a really interesting field. And uh, and again, being able to even split out your GPU and play games on half of it and be able to do AI stuff on the other. Um, my brother-in-law uh, graduated college a couple of years ago and basically has a master's degree in AI programming, whatever. Uh, 
he's one of those people that's way smarter than you could ever fathom being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, he's been doing a, a lot of crazy stuff and recently got a new employer who I can't mention, but I'm really jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I know yeah. them. That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So we've covered all the, how to GPU, how to game and the tools to use, which is pretty simple. And we got just playlists in there to get you into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. details of it. Let's pivot a little bit, talking about the gaming servers and someone brought up a good question. How do we store this? Cause I know you've actually covered this and I've done this before where I've done, I've used iSCSI to store it on uh, my mm-hmm. steam games across on a, like, a true NAS server. Uh, what are some of the ways you deal with storage when you're building the gaming servers? Because games oh, are huge. Boy. Oh boy. <laughs> so let, let's look at my, uh, if you're running one or two or three instances, a standard solid state drive, it's all you need. Yeah. Um, for my cloud gaming server, when you start scaling up, if you want an entire server dedicated to gaming instances and you've got 12 or 16 or even more uh, virtual desktop uh, you know, instances running, uh, storage and in particular storage latency becomes one of your biggest bottlenecks in the server. Uh, so my main cloud gaming server is running an Epic 7742 64 core. It's got 256 gigs of DDR4 and three Titan X Pascals. Um, even running with a pair of NVMe drives, the problem is the latency and the, uh, Imagine you're trying to do queries to a SQL database. You know, when you run like Crystal Diskmark, that, yeah. that bottom set of numbers, the random 4K? That's the, uh, that's the tough one. That's the number that matters yeah. <laughs> for, for that kind of, of fast burst IO. Right. Uh, so even your NVMe drives, you're looking at, you know, some of the best ones are like 60 megabytes per second. I, imagine loading Spider-Man or cyberpunk or crisis at <laughs> 60 megabytes per second times 12. Uh, it, it doesn't work. It, um, and so storage latency and random IO speed becomes your biggest bottleneck. What I found out was throw even more hard drives at it. Uh, and so <laughs> uh, my basic solution was I bought a 12 port SATA interface on a single PCI Express 16 card and I have those routed to 12 Intel 1.2 terabyte SSDs, enterprise SSDs. Um, completely overkill solution, but because they're running in uh, ZFS2, it bumps up that random IO to something like 350 megabytes per second. And Elites makes it usable. Uh, honestly, the best solution would be something like Intel Optane Memory. Rest in peace. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I recently did a video on Optane memory and I was super excited to start implementing it. And then it's like, oh, and it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is sad about it. And oh, by the way, check out Jeff's video on that. It's really clever. If you don't, it, it, I don't know why it's said because it's such a clever way it works and a way you partition memory in memory slots to be uh, functional, logical drives at really high speed. I love this. This is beautiful. Oh, and it's right. dead. So that's... right. Yeah. I, I was so, so disappointed when I saw that news, uh, because like I said, I was super excited. I finally got mine working and, and up and re- for those who haven't seen it, I have a terabyte of memory. It, sorry. 1.3 terabytes of memory in my store AV 15. Yeah. 
And I have the same motherboard as you, so I watched that video going, hey, I have an idea. That'll yeah. work. We have the, I have the motherboard, but I, I don't have to upgrade the chip. I have I already have that chip that oh, has nice. support. Nice. So I'm like, I, I, the only thing I need to do is buy memory. And by the way, I have slots. So right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in one of the other potential ways, and maybe you uh, did this was, or, or looked into this, is you could set up uh, each one of the VMs to talk iSCSI over to TrueNAS, but yes, you you would then have to probably at least go 25 gig uh, to TrueNAS in order to be not running into the next bottleneck. Here's here's the secret sauce: virtualize your TrueNAS inside of your cloud gaming server and iSCSI with VertIO uh, interfaces because they run at the speed of your CPU. Yes, uh, and so for those for those who I just lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if you're running your storage on a separate server, uh, yes, you're going to, uh, you're probably going to need at least 10 gig, if not 25 gig interfaces, yep. uh, to handle the amount of throughput of all that game data being loaded by 12 clients simultaneously. Um, however, using, if you virtualize your TrueNAS server on the same metal that you're running your, your game server as, uh, so in my case, I just pass through that, that SATA interface card and all 12 drives show up inside of TrueNAS. I configure them in ZFS2. I then set up iSCSI instances for each of those uh, VMs. So each VM has its own iSCSI uh, interface. And Tom has a fantastic tutorial on this. Um, and I've also done a tutorial on setting up your uh, Steam library on one. Yep. Um, but set up iSCSI for each of your VMs. Um, Using Windows as a client, you'll need to install the Red Hat VertIO driver package to get the VertIO network interface running inside of your Windows client. Uh, but rather than running at one gig or 10 gig, VertIO runs at however fast your CPU can run. And so it actually right. virtualizes essentially a 100 gigabit link, uh, but it doesn't and it runs standard networking protocol, but it kind of ignores the limits. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a uh, TrueNAS supports this natively, so you don't have to do any configuration. Uh, Windows, you will need to download the VertIO driver package and install the, the the driver for it. But that is the way to get the lowest latency, fastest access to a nice guzzy drive on your cloud gaming server. Yeah. And I was hoping you were going to go for this whole, it, it's a complex process, but boy, is it a fun learning experience. Yes. And you don't hear Tom often talk about this is, and I say this is because a production system that not for gaming, I wouldn't right. recommend virtualizing TrueNAS because of the potential problem. Right. But for a use case of trying to get the most efficient use and lowest latency, mm -hmm. running it all on there, all on one physical server. So let's say Proxmox, which I'm assuming where Jeff has it, virtualizing your TrueNAS, doing not a vert IO, but just a full pass through of the PCI mm -hmm. card into TrueNAS. So it has direct access to the drives, which is a requirement, does open up a really fun opportunity to be able to build an incredibly fast server with the lowest amount of storage latency possible. Now, this Correct. is where a lot of people get confused because this even applies with XCPNG. You'll take two Windows servers and sometimes you'll see displayed a speed 
or a link speed. That's kind mm -hmm. of like a legacy leftover um, because they aren't really, they're ignoring any of those limits because I have people say, but it only says I'm connected. I'm like, don't worry about that. If both machines are running, two Windows guests running on an XCPNG, a Proxmox or many other hypervisors, mm -hmm. uh, if they are on the same wire, they are not leaving the physical same metal. Uh, they talk at whatever speed the backplane can essentially facilitate. So. Right. As long as they're using that VertIO network driver. If you're virtualizing yeah. the, the, like the Intel E1000 is a common virtualized network card, that will still be limited to your 10 gig speeds, um, to the 10 gig link of, or one gig link of uh, inside of Proxmox KVM. Um, uh, but yeah, the VertIO driver essentially connects them via bare metal. Yep. And so it depends on your CPU cycles, not on your network card, your out, your outfacing network, your your switch bandwidth, whatever else. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised Microsoft doesn't just include that already because so much of their stuff. Have, uh, is that still true for Hyper V? Do they still need that extra driver, or you don't haven't tested? Uh, I think as of 2012, they they kind of did away with that inside of Hyper-V, at least as far as Windows clients goes. Okay. Uh, if you're running a Linux client, it, it it's kind of the inverse is true, where if you're mm. running KVM and you're running a Linux client, natively supported. Oh, yeah. Linux is natively supported. Right. Ex exactly. Uh, but if you're running a Windows client on KVM, you need to go through some secret drivers and then make it all work. It's the inverse with Hyper-V. And so Hyper-V, I believe, ignores the network limit when you're running a Windows client, but the Linux clients are still running at one gig or 10 gig. And, and, and I bring that up too, because by the way, do this in Proxmox because you're going to have more of a hard time playing with TrueNAS to get it to load the proper drivers to get this to idea to work in Hyper-V. It's oh, easier oh, to load oh, the don't, drivers. Don't yeah, even easier. this in Hyper-V. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's easier ah. and undoubtedly more stable to do this. So even though I yeah. did sing a little bit of praise for Hyper-V for certain GPU sharing, that's where it ended. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> it, it was downhill after that when you wanted to say virtualized TrueNAS and Hyper-V. That's a big no. <laughs> so, ah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so just to bring it back, this is Proxmox is where Jeff has all of this set up and functioning and working. So, yeah, uh, but it's, this is a lot to think about putting it uh, all together. So, yeah, I, I you asked if I had a playlist and my playlist is literally uh, so I, I have a much longer playlist on this entire journey that I've taken from the original Kepler cards through all the trials that I've, I've gone through from different uh, uh, remote clients and, and different streaming options and testing with different thin clients, like testing a Raspberry Pi as, as a thin client or a Chromebook or, you know, a Windows desktop or whatever else. Um, and there's a lot of failure in those videos. So I, uh, People ask me, how many videos have you done? Because I, I had them as part of a numbered series. Uh, I stopped counting, I think, at 11. Yeah. And <laughs> so if, if you're wondering and run across some older stuff and ask the question, can it be done? Jeff probably did a video on the problem with doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why the most recent playlist is the most uh, effective way, we'll say, to get this done and right. get this accomplished because the other ways are undoubtedly more buggy. The other really frustrating thing about documenting my journey on social media, I'm sure you've ran into this, Tom. Anytime you start uh, Googling specific error messages for the esoterra that you're trying to get running on your server, 
you come up as a reference. Yes, because that, I have my forums and it, it constantly comes up as a reference. It is such a first world going, problem. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it, is so, it is so aggravating. I'll, I'll be going down some random forum and, and someone will say, oh, I came up with this error message and I'm trying to figure this out. And you're reading through this thread and you're reading through it and like, okay, I've tried that. I've tried that. Ooh, that's a good idea. I don't think it'll work, but I'll try that. And then it gets down and and you get to the bottom of the page and it goes, oh, Jeff has a great tutorial on how to do. No! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back, back, back. Keep scrolling. <laughs> Keep scrolling. Ah, but yeah, yeah anytime I search for anything that's grid, VGPU, Proxmox, I come up in the documentation. Yes. Uh, well, I think this was fun. This was a, hopefully a fun learning lesson for people to get started on there. Jeff's got the videos linked down below. If you Google the error messages, you'll also come to Jeff apparently. So <laughs> this is, uh, we'll leave links to all this. And of course, check out and subscribe to Craft Computing. Uh, there's more than just virtualization videos. Jeff's uh, been a friend of mine for a little while. And oh, he's got some little ones wandering in. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's breakfast time. <laughs> yes, it is breakfast time. Anything else you'd like to add, Jeff? Can I say hi to that dog? Can you say hi? You can say hi. Yes. He, can, he can hear you. Yep. Oh, I can't hear Oh, you can't hear him? Okay. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Hi. That's right. We got the the mini craft computing people. Yep. Are so low. <laughs> yep. This is this is a little bit. A little bit. All right. Don't call me a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't like being called a little bit. Okay. Okay. Uh, head on out. I'll be out in just a minute. Okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else further to add besides your comment from a little bit? <laughs> uh yes. Uh, AMD GPUs. I have tried so many times. I have tried so oh, oh. <laughs> bonk. <laughs> uh, AMD GPUs. Uh, where do I start? Where do I finish? Ooh. Yes. I, I will be up in just a second, okay? Head on out. I will be up in just a second. And we'll talk then, okay? Thank you. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> AMD GPUs. AMD GPUs. Hey, when are you going to do AMD GPUs? You can do AMD GPU in pair virtualization with Hyper-V. Uh, as far as any other method with KVM, sure, you can pass them directly through the same way that you would with, AM, with NVIDIA-based cards, the same driver installation process, all that. As far as virtualizing an AMD GPU, I know some of their enterprise GPUs support SRIOV. And I put that in the most sarcastic parentheses that I possibly can. Yes, yes they support SRIOV. AMD themselves do not make any driver packages publicly available to you. And so oh. even though their system is free and license-free and they advertise that to, to the moon and back, um, there are no downloads that you can get for MXGPU installs on a client VM. Uh, it's only supported by VMware as far as SRIOV goes. And I couldn't even, I bought two MI25s uh, trying to get SRIOV to work because people always ask me about it. Uh, whenever I enabled it in VMware, VMware would actually crash on me. Oh. Uh, I, tr I tried enabling SRIOV in Proxmox. It didn't recognize it as an SRIOV capable device. Uh, 
So there's some secret sauce that AMD is not releasing, even though they advertise as being license-free and open and you can use whatever you want. So Weird. far, it hasn't existed. So if you do figure out how to make this work, let Jeff know. <laughs> I will document it and share it with the world. Yeah, share it with the world. Make a video on it. Do some documentation on this. <laughs> so pretty much this is NVIDIA. Stick with the Tesla cards, M40s, M60s. Those are your go-to cards to make this happen. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and I'm waiting for either the Volta GPUs to drop. Uh, so the like the Tesla V100 or even the, the the Titan V, because apparently Volta is like insanely fast when it comes to virtualization. So I've been really excited to get my hands on some of those. What are those rows running right, right now? Uh, they're still trending 800 and up. And okay. so I'm, I'm waiting for them to drop. Like once they go below five, I'll probably snag at least one. Uh or knowing me, three. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of three at least. I mean, can't just have one. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're, we're YouTube people. We got to do something excessive to get the views. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Make a stupid face, put too many GPUs in a server. Uh, a, a, couple of, a couple of my VGPU <laughs> tutorials were I uh, literally, if you bought the hardware that I was playing with at retail, it would have been like $25,000 for one tower. Yeah. <laughs> and so a couple of my thumbnails are $25,000 for. Yeah. We are yeah. self aware YouTubers, by the way. <laughs> That's how we can talk about this. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, this is definitely fun. Uh, I'm hoping this is going to be my, as it, I already referenced Jeff, but now I have a video in my collection as well, or a podcast in my collection. I'll be referencing people say, how do we get started with this? It's a lot. It's it's a it's a big project. It's a good undertaking, but you know, I think it's really good for home lab people, especially because gaming is often what leads you into that home lab world. Of well, I got a gaming server I built myself. That was fun. Can I build something more? And yeah, yes, you can. Or now I need a service to support it. Or hey, how about starting up a Plex server? Or or all these other things that um, I believe. Basically, any of us in the industry who have worked professionally in IT, we all start as enthusiasts. We all start as loving technology and playing games or whatever else. And that's often the gateway drug that gets you in. And yep. it's been a lot of fun to integrate gaming into another industry that I absolutely love and have a passion for. And that's enterprise IT hardware. It's a really weird thing to have a passion for, but... <laughs> yeah. No, and... It, you know, and I don't know if you're a big listener to Dark Knight Diaries, but mm -hmm. I, I love how many people started with playing games than into hacking. Like the two oh, are yeah, inter totally. intertwined. Like, how do you get started? Well, I was 14 and someone someone kicked me and banned me. And I was like, how'd they find out my IP? Oh, they fished me. They did this. Like, it's yep. it, it's like a pivotal place. Uh, get, you, get your fingers on the keyboard and everything else. So I, exactly. I love all this. <laughs> exactly. All right. Links are down below for all the fun stuff we talked about. And uh, like I said, check out Jeff's whole playlist on this. And uh, if you want a history journey, check out Jeff's. Well, at least 11 of them are labeled <laughs> journey. So you they're all they're all in one much longer playlist. And I got I think there's 17 or 18 videos in there now. Like it's. Yeah. It, and I started on this almost exactly three years ago. I started on this in 2019. <laughs> uh yeah. Boy, how, how naive I was that I was just going to buy a couple of cards, slap them in and make them work. Yeah. I remember you having soldering things and everything else. Oh, like, you, I know I, I, I was following along with the journey going, wow, just really yep. into this. I hope it works. No, I, ha having to solder on uh, 0204 resistors to change the ID of an NVIDIA card to make it recognized as, as grid capable. Yep. 
Oh yeah, we no, we we went into the weeds. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so if you're wondering if that'll work, watch the video and find out. <laughs> it did actually. It worked. Yep. All right. Thanks everyone. Take care. Thanks for having me on, Tom. All right. Appreciate it.